you can guess, we are in the third week of our series called The Grave Robber. The Grave Robber is the last of the seven miracles that are recorded in John's Gospel that Jesus does uh, at the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so this is a series of looking at seven miracles that the Holy Spirit, John the Apostle, recorded in what we call the Gospel according to John concerning miracles or signs that pointed to Jesus, that affirmed or confirmed that Jesus was who He said He was. In fact, if you uh, have your Bibles, you're going to need your... Trust that you bring your Bibles every week, whether you've got it in electronic form or leather form or however it is, but bring your Bibles. Be an engaged listener. Uh, I found that if you ever notice, anytime whoever is preaching or speaking, I'm always got something I'm going to take notes for. You know why? Because I want to be engaged and I want to be ready. If the Lord is speaking through that person, then I take it seriously and I want to hear God may deposit a word in my, my life that I need to know and I want to be ready and I want to have something that and be an engaged listener. And so let me encourage you to be engaged in the ministry of the Word. That's a way faith comes by hearing and hearing by the ministry of the Word. So, but in John's Gospel, he gives us a little insight at the end of chapter 20 when he tells us the purpose of why he wrote the 21 chapters that we call the Gospel according to John. In chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, it gives us a little insight when the Bible says that now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But he says, but these are written, everything that John recorded and wrote before, these are written so that, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus said in John 10.10, that He has come to bring life, and life more abundantly. He's the life giver. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So we're talking about miracles, and I don't believe that, I I wish I was that intelligent, but when I believe the Lord led me to, because I was going to preach through the Gospel of Mark, and the Lord just told me, I think this is the way we need to go. And uh, I believe that we as a church... God is using to increase our level and attention in regards to an expectancy of what Christ can do in our life that we need. Uh, One of the challenges of preaching or teaching is to preach faith to the faithful. I need faith. You need faith. Faith is trusting and believing God is true to His Word. And one of the challenges as as your pastor is, I'm privy and knowledgeable of things going on in people's lives. So as the Lord is directing me to, 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 you know, preach the Word, serve, and study, those things are all going through my head. And I'll be honest with you, this week was a real challenge because there was, this was, this is going to be a message to increase our expectancy of believing God for something that is physically and maybe, you know, naturally impossible. And as things were going through my mind, I thought, oh, but I needed faith to preach faith. I needed faith to preach 
an encouragement, a word. And I just, the Lord said, you know what? Just stay out of the way. Let the word do its thing and quit worrying about how you're going to do it. Just let the word do what it was intended to do. And that's what we want to do. So in this series, we're looking at the seven miracle signs of Jesus in the gospel of John. And uh, we're on sign two. Uh, This is our third week. We did an introduction. You can go on to the website of the church and you can listen to the last uh, couple of messages and be up to uh, speed on where we're at. Last week, we looked at the first miracle, which is recorded in John chapter two, and that was Jesus turning water into wine. The miracle, the first coming out, he turned water into wine and was Lord over the molecular structure of of elements of water and fermentation of grapes and all those things done in an instant to demonstrate his authority over the smallest details of life. And so uh, John, as I said earlier in John 20, 30, and, or 31, he tells us that where there's an intent by, by, of what he is writing. There's a purpose that the Holy Spirit wants to use in our understanding of what John writes. John has interesting, if you remember in Revelation 1-3, it says that there's a blessing to everyone that reads the words of this prophecy. John was used by the Holy Spirit to write the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so there's something about when John writes, there's an added uh, import in the Holy Spirit using those words to bring us into a closer relationship and understanding of the Lord. So this, today we're going to look at Jesus' healing of this high official, government official's son, a bigwig, that God uh, touched his life, a dad who came to Jesus needing help for his son. We're going to look at that. Next week we'll look at the third miracle, which is in John 5, where Jesus heals a crippled man who had never walked, never walked in his life. And the third sign, they all progressively get more dramatic. The fourth sign is in John 6. There's actually two where Jesus feeds the 5,000, probably closer to fifteen to 20,000 because if you add children and uh, wives, which are typically not counted, it was a quite uh, a much more dramatic miracle. And then also in that same chapter of John 6, Jesus walked on water. Pretty big deal. And the sixth sign in John 9 is where he gave sight to a man who was born blind And the last sign miracle, seven. Seven, you know, is a perfect, complete number. And so this last sign, of course, is Lazarus when he calls Lazarus from the dead. But I want us to turn and look in John 4. It won't be on the screen. We're going to do a little different in that we're going to read it as we kind of walk through it. Because, again, it's one of those those, uh, places in Scripture that really kind of preaches itself. Those are sometimes the hardest ones because you just, as I said, the Lord just says, will you just get out of the way and let my word do what it was intended to do? So that's what I want to try to do. So the word is just, it just kind of helps us and gives us understanding. But let's pray and ask God to open the word, open our eyes and our ears today. If you're distracted and you're worried about um, getting to Golden Corral, you know, at a certain time before the Episcopalians, um, well, trust me, you'll, you'll, you'll have a good lunch wherever that is, or maybe it's the, I'm not sure, the Baptist or whatever, but seriously, we, wanna, we want to engage our minds and our thoughts 
And we come in here, I'm just like you, we're a collection of the week, we're a collection of stuff, we've got a million things going on in our minds, and so we want to allow the Holy Spirit to just take control of, our, of, our, of our, our ability to hear and understand His Word, and let me encourage you to try to keep uh, moving around at a, at a minimum, because when somebody gets up and has to go to the restroom and get a drink of water and do all those things and come back, you know, it's distracting because... Every, I can watch you. See, you, I see you all up here. And as I'm really just, you know, everybody's watching them, just I wonder where they're going to sit. Probably the same place they sat when they got up. You know, look at what they're doing, you know. So I want you to not, not don't do it for me as a favor. Listen, I'm trying to help you. I want you to get everything God wants to do in your life, give you this morning. Is that okay? That's all. That's all, because guess what? I'm going to talk whether you like it or not. I got 40 minutes, and I, I, I look over your heads anyway. If somebody, and don't tell me, I'm sorry I was sleeping, because you know what? 99% of the time, I don't even know until you tell me, all right? You think I'm staring right at you, but I'm not even staring at you. I'm just, I'm in, I, I get in the, the spirit-led zone here and give you the word, but I want you to get everything God has for you today. And I believe that when we open His Word, this Word is life. And that's the reason you need to bring a Bible. That's the reason you need to participate in the Holy Spirit's work, what He does in, in, in the church. And so this is, a, this is a big part of what we do. This is part of worship, all right? I'm just shepherding you here. Is that okay? You don't, you don't always, it's like, uh, you know, we don't always like it when we tell you to eat your vegetables, but I'm doing it for, for our good. I'm preaching to myself to be engaged. So Holy Spirit, this morning... Lord, we just want to commit ourselves to hearing your voice today, letting you uh, speak into our life. Lord, I know that, Lord, just about every person here, Lord, needs faith for something. They need to believe God above and beyond an intellectual understanding for something in their life. There's children, there's spouses, there's health issues, there's financial issues, there's something that... If they're pressed, there's something that's weighing upon them, and maybe this morning they've just kind of given up. They're not going to abandon you. They're not going to, but they've just kind of, they've just kind of given up. They don't. They believe, but they don't really, really expect you to work. Well, Lord, this morning I want us to have a, a an atmosphere of expectancy that is built by the opening of your word today, to hear your work in this miracle story. Lord, build our faith today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We're going to look at five observations from this passage. We're going to look at the desperation of faith, the determination of faith, the decision of faith, the discovery of faith, and last, the deepening of of faith. Look with me in your Bibles, John 4, at the desperation of faith. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 46 and 47. The desperation of faith. So he came, this is Jesus, he came again to Cana in Galilee. Now, what just took place in Cana of Galilee? Where, where did we last see Cana? What happened there? It was a wedding. Turn water into wine. So he's back in his hometown, home region. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water, made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, which is uh, uh, near there, there was an official 
Or your, your version may say a nobleman or a... Or a uh, there's, there's different under, uh, interpretations of who he is. But in other words, he's a very important official in the government. And there was this official, the ESV says, whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he, this official, went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he, his son, was at the point of death. The New Living Translation says that he begged Jesus. He begged Jesus. That means there was a repeated asking, and I don't know, again, it doesn't say whether he got on his knees and begged Jesus, but just think about it. Here was this big, popular, probably wealthy official, and he was begging this rogue rabbi to come because he was at a point of desperation. That's the desperation of faith. He was in a desperate situation. I tell you, nothing can make you parents more desperate to believe God than when your child is sick or your child has a need. He was desperate. His child, and regardless of whatever stuff we have, it bring, it's the great equalizer. I mean, uh, there are many things that money and wealth can't buy. Money can buy you a king-size bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy you a great house, but it can't buy you a home. Money can buy a companion, but it can't buy a close friend. Money can buy books, but it cannot buy brains. Money can buy a church building, but it cannot buy entrance into heaven. This man had everything perhaps the world would say is, is admirable and, and, and covetousness, you know, that we covet to be, oh, if I could be like him. But here he was in a desperate situation where his son was ill, a fever maybe was ravaging this kid's body, and the man was desperate, and he went about 20 or some odd miles to beg this rabbi to come to my house and teach and heal my son. He was at that point, and I tell you, when you're desperate, you get real down to basic needs real quick when you're desperate. If you were out in a little boat somewhere in the middle of the uh, Gulf of Mexico, all by yourself, lost at sea, you're not complaining you don't have Wi-Fi. Hello? You're desperate. You're just, you, you just, you're just hoping you can find some way not to die of de- dehydration or sun exposure. Desperation reveals to us our, our basic needs. Also, when we're desperate... Regardless of our sense of dignity, our sense of standing, when you're desperate, pride has a way of going out the window. I mean, again, think about this. This guy was probably a very well-known official. How he heard about Jesus, it doesn't tell us. But we know a chapter before that, a couple, uh, uh, yeah, in chapter 3, remember when Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night? And remember what he told Jesus? He said... No one can come from God unless he, has, unless he can do the miracles that you can do. 
So Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, acknowledged that whatever happened in Cana, that water into wine, in fact, remember we read John 20, it says there are many more things that Jesus did that are not recorded in this book. So there's a lot of activity that Jesus is doing, and this official heard of what was happening, and he knew out of a sense of desperation that if there was any hope or chance for his son, he better get to Jesus. Maybe a few weeks before, he was having a few drinks at the country club, laughing with his buddies at the religious nonsense of this rabbi. We can't even find his earthly father, and look at this guy, where everybody's out. But everything changed. Everything changed when his boy was dying And he thought, maybe I need to get to that rabbi. I need to get to that man. So that's the desperation of faith. That was secondly, in verses 48 and 49, the determination, determination of faith. And so Jesus said to him, this official, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Now, I'm not sure if he was necessarily talking to that individual or there's some thought that he's talking to the group there because there was certainly, if you look back in, uh, right above it, back in chapter, uh, well, the same chapter, verse 43, 45, 43, I'm sorry, Jesus quotes and talks about how a prophet has no honor in his own country. There, there certainly was all through Jesus' ministry those who followed Jesus because they were constantly looking for another sign. When you read, when we come to John 6, we see that the only reason they believed in him was because he fed them. He fed the multitude. He fed that 15,000 people. And they wanted to, what? They wanted to make him king. They wanted to nominate him and, and make him king because he said, you don't believe me really because of who I am. You only believe in me because of that I fed you, I did something for you. And sometimes we're like that. We're, we're, we're just always, again, our faith is always teetering upon, well, give me a sign, show me that you love me, prove that you love me. And we're always kind of going in this back and forth of, of doubt and distrust. Well, there was a determination here. And Jesus is reminding whether he's talking directly at that high official or he's talking to the group that's there around him that's kind of wanting to him to show more signs and wonders is that real faith uh, is, is only verified by signs, but real faith is not generated by signs and miracles. It's not after I see, then I'll believe. True faith reverses the order and says, after I believe, then I will see. Faith is not based upon what we see, and yet that's the way we're wired. And I don't know, but it just, again, trying to flesh this out a little bit, whether even this particular individual asking Jesus to have this miracle with his son might have even had a false understanding about Jesus. But we learned something about Jesus because he says, if you would just come to my house, well, he's going to find out Jesus doesn't need to come to his house. Sometimes we have a false understanding of the way God operates, that we think, well, you know what, God... Do this in my life, or I need a miracle in my life, but let me clean up my act first. 
God, let me, you know what, maybe the reason this is happening is because I haven't been to church in six months and God is punishing me. That's, that's false. That's not, that's not the way God works. But sometimes we have this false understanding of, of how Jesus operates. You remember in, uh, we'll come to the last miracle in John 11 with Lazarus. Remember when Jesus got the news how he just kind of delayed a few days, total of four days? And then when he met Martha, the sister of Lazarus, what did she say? If only you had been here. And Jesus is like, if only I'd been here. You don't, you don't, don't you know what I, who I am, what I could do? Well, this guy is going to get into a big shocker and surprise. That's the, deter, the, 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 uh, the determination of faith. He was determined. He was determined that if Jesus did not intervene in his son's life, there was no hope. And that led thirdly to the decision of faith. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go. Your son will live. And what, ha- what did the man do? It says, the man believed the word. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and what did he do? He went on his way. Now here, he cha- Jesus challenged dad's faith. He was desperate. He persisted in, this, in his dependency upon, upon Jesus. He stripped his pride by coming to this rabbi, asking Jesus, please do something. Jesus didn't say, now I want you to go and I want you to give me a seed offering. I want you to sow a seed offering and believe your miracle. I was watching, I don't know who it was. I'm trying to remember now. It's probably good I don't remember the name. And it was somebody that I was just generally surprised at the gimmickiness that they had gotten into in their praying for healing. That they're going to send you this special letter, and there's a certain card that's in yellow, and you're to, and they're going to send you a little packet of oil, and you're to put the oil on the card, and you're to put the envelope, and all this. That's superstition, people. That's not, God doesn't need all these little gimmicks, okay? He doesn't need all these little gimmicks. Don't fall for that. And it's sad when there's people that, you know, I kind of respect that fall into this kind of goofy stuff. And you have to wonder, are they, de- are they that desperate for money and fundraising that they have to, fa- they have to, to... all right, I'll, I'll quit, I don't want to. Jesus didn't ask him to go do anything. He didn't say, well, you need to first do this. Now, Jesus didn't operate the same way with everybody. Remember the rich young ruler, the wealthy young ruler that the disciples were really excited about? And Jesus told him to go and sell all he had and do what? Give it to the poor. Well, there's a whole reason why I think he did that with him, but he doesn't do anything here. He just simply says to this man, go home, go home. Your son is going to live. Your son is going to live. And what's cool is this man believed what Jesus said. And he went home. He didn't say, well, I need something 
can you do something? Can you, can, you, can you pick up a rock and turn it into a little crust of bread? And that'll, that'll help my faith as I go. He didn't do anything. He believed the absurdity that this man could say, I don't have to walk the 20 miles to your house. I am Lord over all. I am omnipresent. I'm everywhere at once. I'm omniscient. I know everything. I'm omnipotent. I'm all-powerful. Those are attributes of God, not man. And that's what was continually pressing up against people that encountered Jesus is He is not like any other man. There's something different about Him. When we come to the place where He calmed the... uh, when he was walking on water, or the, before that, when they were in the boat, the disciples in John uh, 6, and the, the storm, and he calmed the seas, and he said, peace be still. They went from being scared out of their wits about the storm to being scared out of their wits over this guy, this man in their boat. And yet, they had been walking with him for, you know, how many, a year and a half or so. And they still we're getting a revelation unfolded at who He is. That to me, here's a freebie, that to me is a sign of a mature believer that you're still discovering wonderful new things about Jesus. If you're just still content to what you got in vacation Bible school when you were gluing macaroni to a paper plate and that's, that's where your revelation of God began and end, ended, let me tell you something, a whole lot more whole lot more about Jesus. He says to this man, go home. He's well. Now, this man had two options, just like us. It's called, we're saying this is a decision of faith. He had two options. His two options were, one, he could choose not to believe what Jesus said. He could make that choice, right? He could say, well, you know, I need a little more to go on there, Rabbi. I need a little more to... to, to, No, he could could have just said, "Ah, I don't believe that. Or he could just simply believe, and that's what he did. He He just simply believed without seeing. Jesus said later on in his ministry after the resurrection, blessed are those who have never, who believe and yet, who have never seen. Telling that to Mr. Thomas. That's the decision. We have to make a decision. See, this is where there's, and we're talking about this. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But I don't believe in just a fatalistic view of God. That if God wants me to get a job, He's going to swoop in with the breath of God and just pick me up and carry me to, you know, Walmart, Target, wherever, the executive suite somewhere. If God wants me to do such and such, then He'll just... That's fatalism. that's, That's not the sovereignty of God. God operates in absolute lordship and control over all things. There's nothing, there's not a molecule, there's not an atom, there's nothing that is running independent of his absolute total control. Everything is under the control 
of God. And yet at the same time, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, what, verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is exercising trust in the promises of God. You see, Muslims have a fatalistic view of God. If Allah wills, there's nothing to do about it. We have a completely different view of God, probably because we believe in the real God, all right? That God says, believe, believe, exercise faith. Give me an example. Turn your Bibles over to Joshua. Joshua chapter 3. I mentioned this last week, but look over in your Bibles, Joshua chapter 3, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. The Israelites, they were being led now by Joshua, Moses is dead. God had told them that, and had told Moses that I have given to you everything in the land. It's all yours. It's all yours. Well, let's just sit back and just let it happen. No. God says, it's all yours. I've already given it to you. But you've got to go in and do what? You've got to take it. There's some enemies there. They need to be defeated. You need to go in there and get your hands dirty, and exercise confidence in what I said. um, So here we have Israel, the people, the nation, right there at the Jordan, Jordan River. It's water. It's deep. And down at verse 8, the Lord tells Joshua, he's running the show now, as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. And when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. The priests had a role. Could God have done any of this without their participation? Absolutely. But He chose to put it upon them to exercise faith and confidence in God. And Joshua said, verse 9, to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, How, here is how you shall know. This is what he tells them. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Termites. No, I just made that up. Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And you can go on and read the rest of it. What happened? He said, I'm going to do this. You're going to conquer them. But 
you're going to exercise some faith and those priests are going to put their feet in the water and believe. And I'm sure there were those saying, well, why do we got to go get in the water? Why can't he just do it? Why do we got to march around Jericho seven times? Huh? Why do we got to do it that way? Because God said it. He wants a response. God will put you and I in situations, some minimal and some pretty severe, and within that testing, God will use those situations to drive into us and out of us a renewed sense of confidence. Do I believe God? Do I really trust God? Or am I really more of a practical atheist? I believe God intellectually, but when it really comes down to believing and trusting in Him for the real things that matter in my life, the desperation, I don't know. I don't really know if I believe. That's what we are constantly beating our heads up against. Are we going to have confidence in God and believe God? This man came to Jesus with a desperate trust and confidence that Jesus could do something. And Jesus did something, as Sean alluded to earlier, He will do it differently than the way you think He ought to do it. The man said, come to my house. Jesus, I don't need to come to your house. It's already done. It's already done. That's the decision of faith. We make a choice. Are we going to believe? This man made a choice. Fourthly, the discovery of faith. Look at verse 51 and 52. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was, what? Recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. He did the calculation and realized that, you know what, uh, that was the same time Jesus said, go home. Now, we just read that in Joshua, but notice this, and it fits into what we read in Joshua. It says that as he was going down, as he was going home, believing and trusting in what Jesus had said as he was going, as he was obeying, just like those priests, that when they put their feet in the water, God acted. When they responded, when they acted in faith and believed that God said what he said, and I'm going to take God at his word, God responds. Can God do it without it? Sure. So why is he doing it? Well, James 1 tells us that when we go through trials of various kinds, there's an intention there to pull out of us perseverance, confidence, faith, all those things to pull out of us because, listen, boy, I've repeated this many times because it's true. Just about everything significant I've ever learned about God has not been when things were going well. It was when I was forced into a situation where unless God acted or God sustained me or whatever, that that it was in that situation that I did not want to be in. So we said the first week, 
Everybody wants a miracle. They just don't want to be in a situation where they need a miracle. And so in that, there's a discovery of faith. Discovery of trust and obey. Remember the old hymn, Trust and Obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. I love, I think it was, I don't remember which one, which, but I remember hearing an African-American preacher say one time, God is never late. He's seldom early, but He's always right on time. God is never late. He's seldom early, but He's always right on time. And the last is the deepening of faith. Verse 53. The deepening of faith. The Father knew... When he asked what time that was, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son shall live. And he himself believed in all his household. Now here's something that really as I say it, I know we don't want to hear it. Because we don't, it's just some, maybe just me. Because we don't really like it. But it says that not only did he believe, but all his household. One of the truths of Scripture is, is that God will often use your need of a miracle in your life to be the miracle in someone else's life. I'm like, God, you know what? Can I pass this time on being someone else's miracle? Can you maybe have Vincent do it? He hadn't been a miracle in a long time, so let him do it. I don't want to be a miracle. No, I, no, God doesn't give us that option, does he? It says that not only did dad believe, but as a consequence of dad's faith, what happened? The whole household came to faith in Christ. Notice the progression of this man's faith. Notice the progression. It began with crisis faith. Crisis faith. He was about to lose his son. That's a crisis. And then his crisis faith became confident faith. He believed the word. He believed that Jesus had healed his son. And because of that, he had the peace of God and he could go his way. He could take Jesus' word and be confident and walk that 20 miles back. Christ's faith led to confident faith, and his confident faith became a confirmed faith. The healing took place the very moment that Jesus spoke. The very moment. And he shared that faith. When that child, when they came running out and said, Boss, you're not going to believe it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I will. I think I will. Because, listen, do you not think that in that 20-mile journey, I don't know if he was walking, I don't know if he was riding a donkey, I don't know. I know he wasn't driving, I do know that. But do you not think that in that 20 miles, the enemy was beating him up? That's a long way. Let's just assume he's walking. 
That's a long way to walk home. I wonder when he got maybe the first mile. The enemy's just, oh man, he's just tearing him up. You are a moron. You were supposed to go in and get medicine. You were supposed to go get, you know, the doc, whatever. And you are taking the word of this cult rabbi that anybody who knows, I mean, if they find out that you're going to come back, I mean, you're, you know, if you're a high official in that day, then you're probably a high official in the religious system. You've got money because that's the only way you could kind of, that's, that's how they operated, kind of like our day, right? And you're going to come back and they're going to say, where'd you go? Well, this Jesus, 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 maybe that's him calling now. This Jesus told you what? Your son is dead. I wonder when he hit the 10th mile marker. I wonder if he was Mr. Confident, Chris, in faith, or whether he was battling like us, overcoming fear of what he was going to find. Can you imagine what it would have been like for him to come within eye, you know, eye distance and they're coming running out to greet him and they're waving their hands. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, they were, but obviously they were excited. And I think something, I think something really took off in him. It's kind of like, again, God, why do you draw us out? Why, why can't we just move from here to here? Bill Hybels said, you've heard people say, which I hate the phrase, and I've probably said it more than anybody, Well, brother, the Lord will always open another door. Bill Hybels said, it's the hallway that's hell. Catch that? When one door closes and the other door is open, it's the in-between that's tough. But guess what? Though I walk through the hallway of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God is drawing out trust, faith, in desperation. You're only desperate when you only have one place to go, only one person to go to. You and I are not desperate when we've got eight options and Jesus is just one of those options. We're not desperate. We're not there. And we will never really have the kind of Faith increased in our life as long as Jesus is just one of eight options. My background and heritage is Pentecostal. And one of the strengths, I believe, of the Pentecostal movement at the turn of the century is this. Is that the Pentecostal movement began as a movement of the poor. The poor. And yet, it was in that movement that God poured down His Spirit in a dramatic way that literally changed, and it has changed the world. Pentecostal movement is the fastest growing body of believers around the world. It's not, you know, sorry, it's not the Baptists. South America, most Pentecostal denominations in in Brazil and some of the other countries and many of them actually have more than Roman Catholic. 
because of the phenomenal growth. We're on the backside of the Spirit moving. God's doing tremendous things in Africa and South America. But here's my point. It began as a movement of the poor, that God poured out His Spirit. People that had nowhere else to go and nothing else to cling on to except believing that God must act and God must respond. Families, there was no health plan. There was no, there was no health care. There was no Obamacare. There was no insurance. When your child got sick, you couldn't afford to go to a doctor. What did you do? You believed. You prayed. You prayed. You prayed. You believed that the God who made that little boy could reach down into that house and heal him. You see, God moves in the lives of desperate people. My fear is that I'm not desperate. I want to be desperate. I want to be desperate. Some of you remember, I may have told you, years ago I was on a missions trip in uh, Jamaica, and the last day... Uh, you know, they kind of hold it out that we're going to do something really fun. I think it's Angel Falls, you know, it's beautiful. We were going to do the beach the last day. You know, you kind of had to work the whole time, which is what you were there for. It was a mission strip, right? Everybody, you know, I say mission strip to Jamaica, everybody kind of smirks like, yeah, right. You know, that was what you were doing. But we really were. And the last day, we, you know, we went out to the beach. It was just a fun day. And a group had, uh, they had swam out. I know I told this before, but it's, worth repeating, it fits. They had swum out to this sandbar. And uh, thought, hey, I could, I'll swim out to where they're at. Got out about halfway and realized this is further out than this fat boy realized. <laughs> I was not prepared. But the problem was I was tired and I was in water over my head. I knew something was in trouble. I was in trouble. Now, it didn't help. My mother, God rest her soul, who's in heaven, said before I went on that trip, as sometimes mothers can torture their sons, I just feel like something bad's going to happen. I hope you're praying. <laughs> Thanks, mother, for the faith. So I'm out there thinking, oh, my God, she's prophet. You know, she knew. But let me tell you something. This is, this is as clear a word of the Lord in that moment as I'm standing here. God says, you're not going to die. You know what to do. And I knew what to do. I knew how to tread. I knew how to get on my back and, and relax. And, and I obviously made it to shore. Here's the deal. Believer, Christian, you know what to do. God has made the word clear. You're not going to drown. You're not going to die. The word is clear. What do we got to do? We just got to act on the word. Oh, God, if you want to save me as I'm going down, just, just reach your hand down here. No. You know what to do. You've taken, you know, you went through the swimming lessons. I've jumped in, went through the training where we had to jump in with all our clothes on and take our pants off and make life fast out of them. How many of you ever had to do stuff? Know what I'm talking about. 
I knew what to do. I wasn't going to die. Because God spoke and said, that which you thought was trivial, really, it's time to use what you know. It's time to use what we know and believe. That's not TV evangelist stuff. That's Bible stuff. Let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you've got some people doing some kooky stuff. Let's not let ourselves be robbed of the truth of faith and believing that God is the God of the miraculous. 